0: All right, you can turn to Matthew 6 again. I promise to preach more than one verse this week. We're not not on the 10 years through Matthew plan, I promise. So we're going to do three verses this week. So, okay. So when I was a kid, I was the bravest kid. I mean, nothing, nothing got to me. And if the laughter wasn't telling you enough, um, so, okay, so here's my, here's what, here's what I grew up with. My dad used to be involved, telling, I, told, I told him last night I was going to tell this, and I said, you actually don't come out looking bad in this story, it's okay. So, Because I have those stories, too, and I've told those, too. So when I was a kid, my dad worked for Campus Life, which was a campus uh, outreach uh, organization. Uh, And one of their big fundraisers every year that they would do is they would put on a haunted house for, like, two weeks or something. Like, I don't know how long it went. Did it run for a whole month? Was it just... Or just... Most of a month. So they would put on... They would put on a haunted house and they would like go all out, they'd do all sorts of crazy things. He would work how many hours during that month? I mean, if you're talking a normal work week's 40 hours, you would probably work 80-hour weeks, something like that. You just, you know. Like, like he would just he would be so into that because it was a big deal for them. So so that being said, Dad, as I grew up, always had all of his haunted house stuff around the house. Which, which included all of these, I mean, if you see them in the light and out of context, they don't, I mean, they're just rubber masks, right? Nothing scary about a rubber mask. And I could look at the rubber mask and I would be fine. And I could look at my dad and I would be fine. But as soon as my dad would do this, he's like, it's me, it's me, you see, it's me. It's still me, it's still me. I, you know, I, I would panic. I would, and then you go, see, it's still me. It's still me. Now watch, watch, watch. I'm it's still me. I'm still, boo, ah! I was telling them I was going to tell the story, and they said, you really should tell the story about the time Dad dressed up as Santa Claus and you freaked out just the same. Because I was so brave. I was so brave. That has absolutely nothing to do with the sermon today. I just wanted to tell that story. That's not true. So... So the idea of wearing a mask um, and pretending to be something that you're not for a period of time and having the ability to take off that mask and put on a new mask and be something else again was very common at the time that Jesus is delivering this sermon. It was, it was common in theater to see, hear of people wearing masks on stage to play a different role, to, to represent something that they were not. Um, to to kind of, you know, play a character to to either teach or convince or just entertain the people around them. And the word that they used for the people who would wear masks is where we get the word hypocrite, right? We've heard this word before used in a very negative context, right? Don't be a hypocrite. Don't Don't be fake. Don't be something you're not. And as we continue to move through Matthew chapter 6, for the next few weeks, uh, Jesus is going to repeatedly be reminding the people, don't be fake. Don't be hypocrites. Don't be the kind of people who wear masks and try to hide who they really are. Be the kind of people who, who who are known for being exactly who they are supposed to be, exactly who God intends you to be, and live a life that is reflective of a follower of Christ. And so as we talk through these different things, Jesus is going to kind of take us through different areas where we will be tempted to to obey his call in a sort of fake and pretend way. But what he's cautioning us against in each of these, his focus is still, you're going to do these things. And we're going to talk about why these things are important. But, But ultimately, what he's trying to get at, and I was joking about this with Caleb right before we got started, is... I'm going to preach the exact same sermon that he and I have both been preaching for like the last month. And that is that God is after your heart. He, doesn't, he, he wants you to do these things, but he wants you to obey him with the right motivation. And that continues to be what Jesus is emphasizing to those who have come to him to hear him teach. So, so as you turn to Matthew chapter 6, I'm going to pick up in verse 2. Well, I'll, tell you what, I'll just pick up in verse 1 and we'll read through verse 4 just so we get, kind of get the full contact. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay. The first thing that I want to establish because because I'm not, obviously I'm not trying to say don't give. And that is not obviously what Jesus is trying to say here. He's trying to say when you give, Right? He's still using that same word that we were talking about last night, last night, last week, when I was talking about when you do perform these acts of righteousness, when you give to the needy, when you do these things, not if. When, as a believer, as you will, if you truly know, love, and serve God, when you believe, you will do these things. You will give. And that comes from a very honest place. That comes from a place that... It comes directly from the heart of God, right? So we can, I mean, this is something that was, that was vital in the life of the church at this time, in the life of Israel. They, they were holding on to these commands like this one in Deuteronomy chapter 15. Uh, it's verse 11. He says, For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. So, so from the time that they became a nation... And God began to reveal himself and his desires to his chosen people. He immediately began to instill in them, I want you to be concerned for the people around you who are in need. I don't want you to only be focused on yourself or on making sure that you feel comfortable, you feel safe, you feel secure. I want you to be looking out for areas where there are people who are not getting by, people who are not able to live the same kind of life that you are, and where you have the ability, and sometimes where you don't have the ability. Out of faith, I want you, I want you to, to care for those people who are in need. This is supposed, to, and so this had become instilled in the life of God's people throughout all of the generations since He gave them this command. And they were still living this out. Uh, the religious leaders, the people who were attending synagogue, everybody was willing to give and so he's not not reminding them hey you forgot this thing you need to start giving again and so so we could could focus on this idea of giving and and I want to talk about it a little bit but but what he's really getting at is that that your your heart in giving has been lost right? because he's saying they're going to be poor around you always you shall open wide your hand for your brother like like He's saying, I want you to give, but what Jesus is getting back to is it's not just about the giving, it's about the heart with which you give them. So because of these kinds of commands, this, this has kind of become a staple in the life and people it's just like it's just like in here, it's just like any other church you go to, right? In some churches they pass an offering plate and some, here we have a basket that just sits over here and you can go put your, your offerings and stuff in. It just kind of becomes habit. it can become a routine. You do this thing, you drop this money in this thing, you come up here, you take this communion, you sing this song, you raise your hand when we're singing, but why are you doing it? Are you doing it out of habit? Are you doing it out of ritual? Are you doing it just because this is how we've always done it? And he's saying, don't stop doing this, but examine why you're doing this. Be aware of what you're doing. So, so in like, and, and I, th- and I was thinking as I was reading this, I was thinking of us today because, because the idea of giving is something that is, that is still a bit foreign and a bit strange in our culture. We live in a society that's all, you know, build yourself up, pick yourself up by your bootstraps, you know, live the American dream, fight your way to the top, make as much as you can, take care of yourself, take care of your family. That sort of thing. But the idea of of emptying yourself, opening your hands wide. He doesn't say, you know, just like if you have a couple bucks in your pocket, be willing to give it to somebody. He's saying open your hands wide. And I think that idea goes beyond where a lot of us would get to in our giving. It's like, well, I can afford to give this. I I can let go of this little amount. He's saying just be completely open. Be willing to give whatever you have to give to meet somebody's need. It doesn't just stop at the simple, small, little, easy thing to do. We always talk about how the church is meant to reveal who God is. Like like we exist to point the world to Jesus. The way that we act, the way that we live, the way that we follow the commands that Jesus has given us is reflective of who God is. And so in a society where we're opening your hands wide, letting go and giving away what you have out of your abundance, out of your little, whatever it may be. The way that we are willing to serve and and, and give to provide for others reflects who Jesus is. And I'm going to come back to that idea in just a few minutes when we get closer to the end here. At CRC... um, Serving the need takes a lot of different forms. Uh, I was trying to think of a bunch of different examples, and then I thought, I'd just let you guys help me, instead of coming up with a list. So what are ways that we as a church try to meet the needs of the people that God has kind of put in front of us? We have lunch every Sunday. We have lunch every Sunday. That serves who? Uh, anybody. Anybody. Yeah, it it serves the church. It serves us. It gives us an opportunity to be together. But also, it gives us the opportunity to open our doors. Hopefully, we're, we're bringing more than we need just for us. Right? This is a big idea. We're bringing more than we need just for us to eat so that as many people as God decides to bring in, we can have one of those loaves and fishes moments. And we can feed whoever God brings in here. How else are we as a church trying to to serve those in need. Leftovers. That it's just yeah. Yeah, if we have leftovers, we'll put them up in the fridge and then we'll give them out as we can. It's a lot of food things. We we work? Yeah, we're, we're here. We're, we're present. We're wanting to, to provide people who are in need of Christ. Absolutely. Anybody else got one more Maybe. You're doing sign. I don't do sign language, man. DRC, DRC, yeah, like like going and finding people who are who who society or the church may have forgotten and trying to to seek their well-being, provide for them. So so there are lots of different forms that this can take. It doesn't just have to be. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull out whatever money I've got, or I'm gonna go I'm gonna go write a check, or I'm gonna nobody writes checks anymore, but. You know what I mean? It's not, just, it's not just that we're throwing money at some problem so that we can then walk away and pretend like it doesn't exist anymore, like we've solved it. Because, because if there's one other thing that we can glean from Deuteronomy 15, it's that we're not going to solve this problem. Because he said, this is always going to be a thing. There will constantly be people in need around you. And you will constantly, as my people, desire to seek their welfare. And it's more than just providing. It's more than just, like I said, it's more than just giving money. It's, it's actually seeking the well-being of other people. It's actually fighting for someone's good. If someone has been forgotten, if somebody has been left aside, if somebody has been ignored, we as the church are here to to go to those people who have been forgotten and say that God still sees you. And And He has charged us with caring for you, with providing for you. So number one, Caring for those in need is vital for the church. Vital. If we are not doing that, then we are not being the church. But here's, here's kind of the main thrust of what I think Jesus is getting at. He's saying, you're really good about doing that thing that I just said. Like, like just throwing money at things and hoping that it'll, it'll, it'll leave you alone. And, and, you're, and you're willing to throw money at things in front of people so that they don't think, oh, well, they're not doing what they're supposed to do. Look, look, he's, I, look I want you to see I'm giving money. I'm not, I'm not ignoring the problem, but I really don't care. But I really don't care. He's saying don't be that. Don't be fake. It's not about the actions that you take while serving those in need. It's about the attitude of your heart as you serve. So we need to constantly be asking ourselves, what is my motivation for doing this thing? Am I trying to seek the approval of the people around me? Is it, is it I'm going to come up here and I'm going to give this money and I want to make sure that the church sees, because I'm an elder and if I'm not given, they're going to start questioning. So I better make sure that they see me giving money so that they don't think I'm not. Whose approval am I seeking when I say that? I'm seeking the approval of people. And he's saying, it doesn't matter what people think, because because if you're so concerned with what people think, if you're going to derive all of your satisfaction, all of your approval from people, then you're going to get it. You're going to get their approval. You're going to get their acclaim. You're going to feel really good about yourself with them. And that's going to be your reward. Your reward is you get the affection of fallen people. That's it. No reward with God because because your heart was obviously more after the affections of others rather than the heart of God. And what was happening as Jesus is saying this, because he says, don't be like the hypocrites in the synagogues and on the street. He's talking about the religious elite. He's talking about these guys who, who would parade themselves around as, I am the best among you. I am the closest to God, and I'm going to demonstrate how close I am to God by showing you how willing I am to give away so much. And they would give away out of their abundance. They would give away things that weren't really hurting them because they remained elite. They remained powerful. They remained rich. It wasn't like they were sacrificially giving anything, their heart was more after the, the acclaim of the people around them. And he's saying, Don't be fake. Don't be like those people. Don't, don't give things away just to turn eyes toward yourself. He says, he uses the phrase, sound no trumpet before you. Um, we would probably say, don't toot your own horn. Right? When I was reading that, I was like, I heard the trumpet blast from Prince Ali from Aladdin, right? Dun-dun-da-dun! Dun, dun, dun. And like, what's that whole song about? It's like, here comes this guy. There's even a line in there. He's generous, so generous. And he's just throwing money around, right? Right? Like like the whole... I'm about to make myself not able to watch this movie anymore. I'm not. Okay, it's okay. The whole, the whole premise of that song is, hey, look at me. Look at how good I am. Look at how nice I am. Look at how lovable I am. I want you guys to see me and like me and know me. I'm doing all of this stuff as big as I can. Look, I'm riding on an elephant that was once a monkey and my genie made him an elephant. That's pretty awesome. I'm going to have that song stuck in my head all day now. Don't. No, it's only going to make it worse. This is the heart that God is wanting us to stay away from. The temptation to do good so that people will like us the temptation to do good so that we will feel like we have all of the affection of the people that we ought to be trying to serve. Like, we're doing this... Like, like I'm going to serve you for me. is basically this heart. It's, I am going to do this good thing, but I am not doing it for your good. I'm doing it for my good. My ultimate well-being. My... my Social status. And it's fake. It's not real. You're not giving to the needy, you're building yourself up. Believers are to have such pure motives that we would value those in need higher than our own acclaim. That's what he's getting at. When he says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Like, like just do it in secret. Like, like be more interested in seeking the well-being of that person than yourself. Our motives are to be that pure. How do we get there? Um, I think it's that we need to value other people more than we value ourselves. We're not to Matthew 13 yet. We'll be there in about six years. But Matthew 13, 45, Jesus is offering a different parable talking more about the idea of the kingdom of heaven, this idea of being with God. But he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who finding one pearl of great value went and sold all he had and bought it. Like, Like he had all this stuff, but then he saw something that was so much more valuable to him that he was willing to let go of all that he had in order to get it. And when we're talking about seeking the well-being of other people, when we're talking about fighting for the good of others, we get there because we value those people more than whatever it is that we've got. More More than whatever social status we could build ourselves up to. More than... whatever whatever money we've got in our pockets that we would like to keep so that we could spend it on ourselves. Instead, we are driven, we are compelled to do something because we so love people. Because we have this heart in us that so loves other people that we cannot help but empty ourselves out for their good. That is the heart That Christ is trying to say we as the church should have. I've got some more. I'm gonna get to it. But just just right here, stop for a second. Look at yourself, look at your heart, and say, Am I that person? Think of the person in your life who you know to be the most generous person that you know. Think of somebody who who it's never an issue for them to, to give something to someone or to buy somebody's meal or to make sure that somebody is taken care of if there's a need. Think of who that person is probably they have done something like that for you at some point or another. We ought to be that person in people's lives. And it shouldn't be that our goal is, I want to be known as the most generous person in someone's life. Because that's exactly where the, where the Pharisees were. That's exactly what Jesus is trying to fight against. But it should still happen because we should, so, we should so love people. And it sounds bad to say that we don't love people. Like, like, like we come here, we, we bring food, or, or we walk around and talk to people, or, or we do all of these things. But do we do it because we love people, or do we do it because it's what we've always done? It's how this church has always been. Are we doing it because it's routine? Are we doing it because because now I've got the approval of the elders because I'm doing this thing. Why are we doing the things that we do? I hope it's because we love people. And why do we love people that way? And why do we seek to serve them this way where we're not trying to attract attention to ourselves? Why do we serve people? Humbly, Why is that supposed to be our motivation? We serve with humility because it was in humility that Christ first served us. I use this passage all the time and I usually just paraphrase it. But I wanted to take some time to read it today. It's Philippians chapter 2. You can turn there if you would like. I will give you a second. This is one of my favorite descriptions of Christ's ministry to us, his service to us. I'll give you just a second, because I think this also so perfectly reflects the type of heart that that God is asking us to have when we serve people following the heart of Christ. So Philippians chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 3 through 8. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That right there is impossible to do on our own, right? If I just said, I want you to love somebody else more than you love yourself, just, just Just manufacture it right now. We cannot get there. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves. And here's the key. Which is yours in Christ Jesus? So what Paul is trying to say here is that you will derive your heart attitude based off of who Christ is and what Christ has already accomplished. And then he he begins to build a case to say, let me show you how much Christ was concerned with others and what he was willing to give up in order to chase after us. Those people who had rejected him. Those people who had walked away from him. Here's how much he was willing to let go. Though he was in the form of God. Like, I don't even know what that means. But it sounds pretty good. Like, like, who was sitting in heaven with, with, with angels around him, worshiping him. With, with, no one, with no one fighting against him, with not having all of the problems that would eventually surround him, he thought, I need to do something for them so much that I am willing to give up my seat in heaven with God to go serve them. So he humbled himself. And then I love how this kind of is written as though it sounds like an insult, like he took on the form of man like he just became one of us he did something he became one of us took on the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself so it wasn't he, so here's the thing like like Christ could have come any way he wanted to he could have come with trumpet blasts and, and elephants and, and camels galore, right? Like, he could have come that way. He could have come as a king. He could have been born into a rich family and been, been one of these elite folks. He could have been in any situation. But what did he do? He came to a humble family who didn't have much. Born in a small, seemingly insignificant city. He came in in the smallest, most inconspicuous way possible. He, he preached. He didn't, he didn't go to Rome, who was the ruling power of the day, so that the whole world would hear his message. No, no he went through this, this small, kind of nondescript region in Israel and preached to the people that, that most would say, why is he ministering to those people? Those people don't really matter. He came from a region out of which... There was such disgust because they were with all the people that were kind of blending with other cultures, and, and they're, not, they're not pure Israel, anyways. Like, that's where he's coming from. And, and he's coming from this, this humble family in this humble city, in this humble region. And it's not, and it's, and it's big enough that he gave up being God to be like us, but that he came in that way. And then, humbled himself even to the point of death. He was innocent. He had done no wrong, and yet he was killed. He was murdered for our sins. And we think, we think of, oh, and then he died, and that's bad. And you'd think that's where he ends, but then he steps it up one step even further, even death on a cross. It wasn't just that Christ died for us. It was that he took the most humiliating way He took the way that says that says, this is a criminal, and this is a person to be disdained, this is a person to to look down on because they are being crucified. He went out the criminal way. He went out the way that that people would turn and look away. Just like the kind of people that we are tempted to turn and look away from. We don't want to look at that. It's disgusting. It's gross. It's offensive. They get what they deserved. He did not get what he deserved. What he deserved was to get to stay in heaven, seated at the throne by God, and be worshipped. But because he loves us, because his motivation was not for his own fame in that moment, he humbled himself and came and, and took the worst from us so that we could know Him, so that we could be with Him, so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be reconciled, so that we could be made sons and daughters of God. And it's that heart, that humility that Christ showed, His willingness to step down from heaven and come and be with the least of these right? It's that heart that we ought to mimic. It's that heart that we ought to beg God to give us. Because as we've seen, we don't get that heart. We can't manufacture that heart on our own. He said it in verse 5 in Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus? Once you are in Christ, he gives you this new heart that understands that love. Once you have Christ, you see what you were before and you see what you've been made by Him now. And it's at that point that you see, this is what I was made for. I was made for showing people that same love. No matter what the cost, no matter what what I don't want to give up that's in my pockets right now, no matter what I don't want to give up that's on my schedule right now, no matter what I don't want to give up that keeps me comfortable and safe and happy And things that might build up my reputation and might make people think more highly of me. That is not what defines us. We are defined by we did not deserve to have the creator of everything leave his throne to come save us. But he did. And now, for the rest of our lives, we are going to be defined by our motivation to love people the way he loved us. Let's pray.